Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to another edition of the Empire of the Suns podcast, post-playoff game edition, which means if we're in Phoenix, Kevin and I are huddled around my laptop talking in front of people collecting trash around the arena. Tradition like no other. It just feels like everything in my heart is where it needs to be with with how this (laughs) feels to me, buddy. Good to see you. Um, This was fun. Playoff games are great. Suns win 110 to 99. Am I right there, bud? You're right, you're right. I scrolled over. I am indeed right. I really hate to be the broken, repetitive record, whatever you want to call it. It's just a weird game, and I said that about a lot of the Suns playoff games before, but for whatever reason, the way in which the Suns play, which is cohesive, together basketball on both ends of the court, it just brings out these really weird games sometimes. And, and this was a strange one to me. I was very impressed by the Suns throughout most of it. I wasn't overtly concerned about anything, but it was just it was just weird. How did you feel about the game overall? I think it boils down to the DeAndre Ayton being that good and the guy he's guarding also being that good <laughs> and the Suns just having this crazy deficit on the offensive boards, but like they, other than that, that was the only real like glaring thing. And yeah, like you look at the shot chart, the Pelicans what shot like thirty-three oh percent in the paint. Yeah, and it was a lot of Jonas just short arming or whatever, and and you don't know if that's tired legs because they've been traveling and playing so much recently or what, but. That, that would be the weirdest part to me, and I, I don't really have a good answer if that's concerning or not. It So two things were weird to me. That, it was that which we'll get to, and then the Suns' offense in the first half because I thought that offensively they were really, really, really good in the first half, and then they still only produced, I believe, 56, I want to say, 53 first half points, something like that. I just thought the total would be much higher. So this is definitely a rewatch game for me where I need to watch it again, obviously for the offensive rebounds for the Pelicans, 25 of them to see, okay, like how many of those were just Jonas volleyballing it off, off the court because he gets an offensive rebound every time he tips it. Um, and he, but he's getting a lot of hands on, on the ball, obviously, which is not supposed to happen. Um, and in that first half, I just kind of looked, kept looking at the score, and I was like, does this feel right? Like, does it feel like maybe the Pelicans are actually, <clears throat> like, in the game a bit too much? Like, it feels like they should be down 30, and it's 12 at this point. That was point. a college basketball game, and it was that low-paced, low-scoring. You'd be like, oh, there no, there's no way this team's going to catch up. But yeah. then the second half happened. Yeah, and then the second half happened, which is where the offensive rebounding really came in. I just saw it as some slippage defensively. I know that shots weren't going in, campaign didn't play that well. But with all of that in mind, they just weren't as what they were doing defensively in the first half, which is one of the best halves of defense they've ever played under Monty Williams is what I wrote in my recap. Um, what they were doing with the shifting, as, as they call it, and just moving around <clears throat> the, way, the way that they do, defensively helping off the ball so much um 
Nikias tweeted that that was Jay Crowder might have been their best defender in that game just because of what he was doing off the ball. So he's you, trending right now because he had a triple single, and fantasy players are very upset. What did he? Have? So he had a point, a rebound, and, and an, an assist. assist. That's it. Yes. Wow, I, I didn't even realize that. Twenty-eight minutes. So as the Jake Router defense stand that I am uh, and just stand of his work in general, I'm very excited to watch the game back and see how he was doing it defensively because, man, it just felt like it was a miracle that they even that the Pelicans even had 34 points in the first half because of what they were doing to Ingram, what they were doing to McCollum. I wrote in a three-part preview on Saturday that I thought that it was going to be Booker on McCollum and then Bridges on Ingram, but I think that's like if this was the NBA Finals, this is the first round. You don't need Booker chasing around the point guard for 40 minutes probably. So in this case, you have you have Crowder on Ingram who's going to be physical, get into him, and then I thought in terms of shiftiness and stuff, Ingram wasn't able to figure Crowder out. No. He, he just couldn't figure him out at all, which was really interesting to me. That's another part of the game that I'm really curious to go back and watch. Of course, Bridges swallowed up McCollum. He was he was very very strong in, in that regard. So to me, all of that just added up to what we saw in the first half. And then in the third quarter, the game gets down to eight or six, and it's like, okay, the Pelicans aren't winning this game. They're they're definitely not winning this. But how much are they going to make the Suns? do and what it was was Willie Green telling his guys to go under on Chris Paul and Chris Paul hitting three straight threes I the stat that I found Kevin was that they scored on the first seven possessions they had in the fourth quarter it was 16 points and 357 which is pretty darn great uh, and Chris Paul did his thing he had 19 of his 30 in the fourth quarter I wrote uh, with my lead in the story that Devin Booker described it last year as that's Chris Paul Whenever he would talk about Chris Paul doing these kinds of things, that was a very that's Chris Paul quarter to me. And so then all of this together comes in a game where the one thing that we talked about perhaps being a crutch that carried over from regular season did carry over, but it didn't help the Pelicans, which was the second chance points offensive rebound because they got 24 second chance points through just three quarters. And, and it did help them in the third quarter, but it didn't in the first half. Jonas was 7 of 21. Yeah. like that. This game was, again, it, it broke my brain in a couple of different ways. I think it's crazy when you look at, okay, what did we talk about as far as Willie Green knowing this team? Um, the thing that did him in was going under on Chris. Like, he's, like, best friends with Chris Paul, and the, he, his only choice is to, like, go under on a screen, let him ISO Larry Nance Jr. So th- that kind of comes down to just like simple, simple things, but you have no choice because Chris Paul is so good. Um, another thing that they did, they knew let's pressure Chris Paul all game, full court, and the Suns, you know, didn't really, I guess a couple times in the second half, like Jake Crowder would bring it up, book, um, that type of thing but the Suns kind of didn't really attack it that heavily like they probably would against a better team so just a lot of interesting little quirks where like Willie knows his team well obviously but it just didn't pay off we'll talk about game two preview here in a second because the obvious you were tweeting quote tweeting David as we came on just I don't think we're going to see Jackson Hayes that much in this series. I wrote in in one of those parts that I was like, I think Jackson Hayes is going to be be quite the target for Chris Paul. Um, And and there was to that point where Suns fans were even wondering, 
if Jackson Hayes was going to start in this series. And, of course, Willie Green has to start him. That's what got them here. But, man, uh, we might see Nance or we might see, like you suggested, just Trey Murphy, the rookie, just add a little bit more spacing because, as Chris Herring tweeted, their floor spacing was just a mess in the first half. It felt like they had no – it felt like we were watching a, a I mean, college offense. That's, that's why the, the finishing in the paint was so terrible to me because Booker was sitting on Hayes sitting in the corner – and there's just more bodies now. Yeah. I'm looking. Trey Murphy the third has a plus six in 26 minutes. Um, if you don't know, he's just a really good shooter, rookie. Um, and, and like, even if you say books a good defender on him and makes him score zero points, it's still probably more valuable for him to stand out in the corner than Jackson Hayes standing out in the corner. Especially if Jonas is going to do all the rebounding himself. Yeah, I, man, I don't know what the change is, but there's going to be a change there. In terms of what Jonas was doing, what what needs to happen is that, and this is something where if you watch Torrey Craig, and I'm sure that he was, I didn't see him specifically doing it tonight, but I'm sure he was doing it. He's one of the best perimeter players I've seen at when a shot goes up, he turns around and just slams the dude in front of him as like if they're trying to crash. He's like, no, no, no. You're not yeah. coming in here. And he he does that better than anyone on the team, and more guys need to be doing it. It's hit-first mentality is what Monty Williams called it. I I don't know in, in terms of how I feel about this game one. I was thinking about that driving in here is that we left here after every game one last year, and we were comparing it to the others in terms of like, okay, how much are the Suns? How confident do we feel about the Suns? Because they, they were – do, how much do we feel like the series is almost over already in terms yeah. of how great Denver? We were like, this is done. Like this yeah. is. I don't. Do, how do you compare it to Denver? I guess that's the comparison we should use because that was the sweep, and I predicted a sweep. You predicted five games. Do you? Can you compare it all to Denver? I thought New Orleans played much better than Denver did. Yeah, I don't feel that way. I think New Orleans could get a game again. You make those um, buckets off the offensive boards, or. You adjust for CJ and or Ingram being a little better. Um, I, I think they can be a lot more competitive. Uh, I don't know how much more. Um, I don't know how much better CJ can get. I don't know if Ingram just dead legs. Like, Torrey Craig played him well. Cam Johnson played him well, too. So the Suns actually have really good matchups with him um, from the looks of it. Um, even though, like, he came in on a tear. Like, he was really good in the play and stuff. So, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to come from um, if the Suns just shore up a little bit of, of that rebounding stuff. Yeah, I I hesitate to just where New Orleans can get enough offense to hang around because I don't think that the Suns played particularly well offensively in this game, especially in the second half. Um I tried to phrase it the right way in what I wrote, which was that like this was not Chris Paul being Superman with his cape and everything because the Suns played such a great first half, but he, it was like a single-handed effort. Like, it was all it was him. It was pretty good. It was, it was pretty good, <laughs> and it was also – I just didn't want to say, like, Chris Paul saves the day, but he, he did save the day, but it wasn't just all him, if that makes sense. And, and I thought that the offense in particular was great. I thought Devin Booker was really good in this game. Yeah. He was 8 of 19 from the field, and, like, his shot-making wasn't normally what we'd see that's easily a 12 13 of 19 game for him with the shots that he was missing that he normally makes with that in mind he just looked like a 10-year pro with the way that he was reading a playoff defense willie green's playoff defense by the way who is 
the defensive-minded coach for the Suns the last two years comes in, really helps a young team that doesn't really want to play defense, especially with a – that's why it was a 1-12 and 3-16 and start because they yeah. didn't want to play defense. And Willie made them learn how to play defense, essentially. And Book just really tore it up. I think that was something I didn't really touch on in my preview was how does this New Orleans team guard Phoenix? And I don't know. Uh, the primary answer was her picking up Chris Paul full court. But then – I mean, Jaden McElroy just bringing the ball up like they did when he was hurt. So, yeah. I don't um, know what they can do. Did their interior defense get better in the second half? Maybe a little bit. I think for New Orleans, that's the big thing because I don't know if, what, three of Booker's assists, at least in the first half, were just straight alley-oops, and there was that one pass into space where just the middle was vacated and Mikel came off a curl in the middle of the court and just turned toward the basket and both just laid it out like from our angle I don't you're on the side more but Mikel got a layup but it was just like the most obvious like throw ahead like Peyton Manning throwing ducks into open space where it's like like that should be intercepted but there's just no one there and and he saw it and there was the Cam Johnson layup where he went full court and just went yeah. right Jonas didn't even step up really he was yeah. he had more than enough time to see it and put it in he just didn't do it and and there are moments where the Suns like looked like they were going to go up by 30 when they started running and then New Orleans shut it down to their credit so I, I think that's another thing where it's like uh, if the Suns got out more and and did find ways to push the pace um, because, like, if you think about the offensive boards, that's stopping the Suns from going in transition that well. So um, if that happens, there, there are a lot of weaknesses there for the Suns to expose that they didn't necessarily do. I am not one to uh, physically react when we're watching the games over there in our seats in the media section, but when Chris Paul turned Herb Jones into a screen for himself, basically, <laughs> I literally sank in my seat and put my hands up and everyone was staring at me like I was a weirdo. Um, <laughs> That was that was one of the craziest basketball plays I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I do not want to, I want to exaggerate as much as possible in saying that. Like I know I've seen game a lot of game winners in person and stuff, but Mikael Bridges is trailing him in transition by about ten feet on the right wing. Herb Jones is waiting for Mikel there, basically, and is waiting for his man, obviously because he's getting back on defense. Chris Paul is coming left to right. He has Alvarado on him. He notices where Herb is, and then just basically makes Herb switch onto him for like a second and then Jose stops for a second because he's like are we switching this and then Herb's not switching it and then they just he Chris Paul just runs by and gets a layup and it's it was a head fake it was a head fake like half spin kind of the um, Rodman Dunlap story that I think I told on here already but it's called the Smitty it's this fake spin that Steve Smith popularized but Chris Paul said he, he brought that up but he said he caught it because he used to go to the YMCA this is like Chris Paul was this crazy when he was a kid. He used to go to the YMCA and watch older guys just play basketball during their lunch breaks. And there was a firefighter in his town named Rodman Dunlap who used that fake spin, and that's where Chris got it from. And he's using it in NBA playoff games, and it's just, guy's nuts. Uh, it's such a treat to get to watch him play. 
Did we talk about DeAndre enough, how good he was in this game? Valanchunas, again, back to what I previewed, Valanchunas is averaging like 20 and 13 against him and in their eight career matchups. He's got the better numbers. I, the comparison I made is, look, there are guys Michael Jordan and LeBron James played against who just got the better of them. It's just everyone has those couple of guys. I've brought up like Levert and Oladipo as guys for Booker that I've seen over his career. And for DeAndre, Jonas has been one of those guys for whatever reason. And tonight he just dominated him. I know that Valanchunas' rebounding numbers were there. Again, when I watch it back tonight, I do not, or tomorrow, I, I do not expect to see DeAndre at fault for many of those offensive rebounds at all. And then he just had that one block where Jonas tried to do the over-the-shoulder hook and Aiden not only recovered to it, but then just got high enough to swat it, which was an incredibly athletic play. And then offensively, his mid-range jumpers were going down. He got to the two floaters I, I talked about in one of my previews and just saying he's got this floater, he's got this hook from this short roll position, and he was just he was playoff Aiden and I, I didn't he was feel, taking dribbles. I, I didn't feel any ifs for this because I feel like the, with how consistent he was over the course of the entire postseason last year, even if it was a one-year sample size, I didn't have any question in terms of if he was going to be this guy again. I knew he was going to be. Just how consistent was he going to be again? And I mean, like he was one of the three best players in this game, two best players in this game. He was awesome. Yeah, I mean. I'm curious if Twitter would have been mad if the Suns would have lost and Jonas did that. That's beside the point. He was really good. (laughs) Um, The late Alvarado block out of bounds, like that, just tracking that dude was amazing. Um, I don't know. Like, another thing I'm curious about that doesn't really matter was that three he hit with Mm -hmm. high screen with Chris after Chris had been hounded all um, getting up the court. I'm curious if they called that because that seemed pretty like pointed that he popped. Um, anyway, lots of confidence in the guy and his teammates. Like for giving up 25 rebounds to someone else, his teammates were like, "Oh, that wasn't on Da. That was on us. Bad defense on our part. He was helping everything um, and leaving Jonas to to get those boards." So, yeah, I. I Mikel's block on Jonas, too, is worth... <laughs> like, I watched it again, and he starts on CJ, then flies across screens when he switches on to Alvarado, who's, like, what, 5'8", maybe, 5'9". Listed at six feet is, like, the most egregious the listing ever that I've ever seen, by the way. Oh, God, really? He's listed at six feet, yeah. Okay. He's well, got it. He's 5'8", like 5'9", maybe. It's wrong, I think. It is, indeed. <laughs> that block is... Yeah, the block you're talking about... Mikel made a handful of plays. I just realized I didn't even mention him in the recap because there was so much to this game. I got to go back in there and add that. But he was... Hey, chasing CJ is a full-time job. Yeah. Um, Okay, so to the chasing CJ end, to flip it around to what New Orleans was doing on Phoenix and looking ahead to game two, when I saw Ingram on Booker, I was like, oh, that's not good for Brandon. (laughs) No. This is... Guys like him have been around so long. Avante Graham, too. I mentioned this in the previews. Like they, this is their first playoff. That was Brandon Ingram's first playoff game. It feels like he's been around forever, but that was his first playoff game. It was the first for a lot of those guys. And just when I saw Ingram defending Booker, I was like, man, this, especially after the week that they've had, and it's going to continue. Like there's going to be a wear down effect for them from the playing games. They don't get like four days off in the middle of this series somewhere. They play every other day, except for the trip to New Orleans for games three and four. And then if this goes five, six, or seven, it's just a day off in between until it finishes. So him and McCollum, what what they wind up at minutes, by the way? 43 for CJ, 39 for Ingram. 
Jackson Hayes played only 11, and I mean, he might just not be out of the rotation out of a numbers game thing because they can't. Although he did, Willie went, what, 10 deep? So. Well, this is where I was going with this is I wonder if there is a way, do they trust Trey Murphy or Najee Marshall enough to bring out Hayes to get one of those wings on and just matching the Suns with three with two wings I guess or three wings whatever you want to call Booker in this situation to get someone else on the court who can defend Booker um, to a to a decent capacity that would give Ingram more time because if Ingram plays 39 minutes and he's guarding Booker when he's out there he's going to have a horrible series that's just not fair to him especially with the way he runs around the ball but then I, I think the obvious answer was putting Herb on Booker and then McCollum was going to guard Chris, but they're saving McCollum and putting him on Mikel. So yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, it feels like Willie Green's got some adjusting to do there, and I think that benching Jackson or putting Jackson Hayes to the reserves and then figuring out a wing that can get in there and take one of those assignments around. So then maybe you play, maybe you start Alvarado and then he guards Chris oh. Paul to start the game, and then you put Herb Jones on Booker. I think that he's got to get Ingram off Booker. That See, was like one of the things that like, stood out. To I know me. CJ. Chris isn't going to go attack the crap out of CJ, I wouldn't feel like. Like, I, I think... Yeah. I don't know. I, I would risk that and just put CJ on Chris. Um, I don't think it's, like, that much effort. I shouldn't say that. For the guy who just scored 30, 10 assists. But he was quiet in the first half. Like, he's going to be quiet until he needs to be. Um, so I Didn't think... take a shot in the first quarter. Yeah, I think you could stash CJ on him. But the bigs are interesting, too. It's like, Nance, I, I made a dumb tweet. Surprise. <laughs> and I was like, this is like the anti-JaVale matchup, and he hits a three, and then the next, like, five minutes is Chris Paul sw- getting the switch and roasting him. And it's like, well... I guess Jackson Hayes could do that, but then it's Jackson Hayes. It's the same thing. I don't know. Nance has played like 11 games for the Pelicans, and Chris is already mentioning post-game. Like, yeah, when Nance is in, they read everything. They switch one through five, so I just, yeah, easy enough. Like, it's just, <laughs> I know that. Of course he does. Yeah. Uh, and, that, and he mentioned that, too, in his post-game. Like, we, we watched all the games yesterday. We watched all the games today before we started playing. Um, to the point that I was bringing up in terms of what New Orleans does from here, if they move around the starting lineup, Jackson Hayes, I noticed it more in the third quarter than the first quarter. In the first quarter, there were a couple of possessions where it looked like Michael Porter Jr., where I'm assuming in the rewatch I'm going to have that I'm going to see him just a second or two fully behind what's going on in front of him. Yeah. And then he was the he was the target in the, in the third quarter. And then that's where his other five minutes, he played six in the first half, didn't come back, and they played five. And that was when Willie Green called a timeout and got him off the floor. And he didn't come back. I mean, in. there was a late transition play in the first half where he just, like, was confused and lost for – and the Suns didn't even hit the pass in the first couple seconds, and he still didn't recover. So, Yeah. What did he call him? The pigeon? They call him the pigeon? They say whenever they have a tar- like not a target, I think that's the right, wrong way to phrase it, but if they know that they have someone out there who doesn't defend necessarily or is step behind, mismatch. they call them the pigeon, a yeah. mismatch. And, and Mr. Hayes is certainly the pigeon in this series, <laughs> yeah. just like Michael Porter Jr. was. So I, Michael Porter Jr. needed to play for that Denver team because they really needed his offense. Um, when Jackson Hayes dribbled, had two different possessions where he dribbled in the first quarter, I was like, oh, no, he shouldn't be. It, he had to do it because it's the way the possessions unfolded but if he's dribbling that means you guys are in trouble 
And you he, don't. Oh, was that? That was like he's initiating the offense right now. That's <laughs> yeah. not good. That's no. the last person of was, all these guys. It was very bad. Yeah. Um, I expect to see more balance out of the Suns in the second game. I think I'll just wrap on that and just saying I expect them to not have as much slippage in this game. I think kind of tracing back my comments, opening comments on how weird the game was, I think that was the weirdest part for me is that they played so great, but then they had serious slippage in a couple of different areas. Like offensively in the first half, there were a couple of different Um, pockets of the game but then the third quarter as a whole in the last six minutes of the third quarter that was just a full I mean that's that's one-eighth of the game right there where they just didn't play well at all and Suns fans were tweeting out just like how embarrassing it was and how terrible it was that they were allowing the Pelicans back in the game and I, I think it's fair to feel that way based on what they proved in the first half which is that they are far and away the much much better basketball team yeah that was mental slippage it was just bad possessions um on offense bad shots it it looked the same on defense to me um and it kind of reminds me of the kings game where they took 43s it's like when you when you default through Monty's system offensively and just go through the motions or whatever you're just going to take threes and i thought the threes they were getting in that second half of the of the third quarter were good threes for them to take but again they were taking too many and that's what happens when this this offense goes on autopilot crowder and mikhail go seven from three campaign had not a good game Mm -mm. um so there's a lot of Room for improvement um, that's not the big three for them. When I was sitting on the floor of my dark living room talking to you after the Suns ruined my life when I came back from a finals run where I was wiped mentally and crammed like I've never crammed before for an NBA draft, only for them to trade the pick for Landry Shamit, the the line that you and I said where we were going to sit right here and we were going to say... This trade's worth it if he plays in the playoffs. It's worth it if he plays in the playoffs because that is the difference that you are getting. He he's he didn't play. Monty said after the game that was not because of his left foot sprain. Uh, Shamit just disappeared from practice for two days when we came in, at least after practice, and then the Suns informed us that he left on, I think that was Friday or Thursday? Yeah, I think it was Friday. Friday. Uh, and then he was questionable coming into the game. He plays. Um, he gets that big check, and when we talked about that extension too, Kevin, we said the same thing which is if he plays, this is worth it. If he plays in the playoffs, because that's what you're paying for, essentially. He did not play, which I thought was, it's indicative to me. It it really is. And it's just worth bringing up in this specific moment because this specific moment, I don't want to slam the table again, sorry, headphone users, is that, uh, is what we were talking about. And it's, it's unfortunate for him and it's just unfortunate for the team and, with what we alluded to the last couple of episodes. It's unfortunate when you start to look at their cap sheet as well. Ayo Desumu played for the Bulls today. I'm just saying. He's great. Got to get it in. He's great. You had to. God, you were really <laughs> right on that. He, he's awesome. He's great. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm really excited for game two. I think most of these – not most of these. Some of these games I get a lot more excited for the following game more than I was excited watching this game. And this made me more excited for the next game because I think the Pelicans have a couple of clear things that they can change. And if those changes come, um, if, the, if they get the right changes, I think this could actually kind of turn into a pretty competitive game too. But then, of course, the Suns are going to have their own. I don't think they're going to give up 25 offensive oh. rebounds again in a game in this series. I would like to – say that but Monty himself said the exact number um, 
of second chance points total they gave up in the four games. I think he said 98, but it was it was 88. They averaged 22 second chance points allowed per game in the four they played against Pelicans. It was 26 tonight, I think. I don't know if we'll see that again, but again, it, last thing before we go, can you? There's an optimistic angle here for Pelicans fans, right? Oh. They can look uh, yeah. at the shooting numbers for everyone and just say, oh, yeah, like if two that of those guys be. have a good game, we're, we're in this. I looked at a bunch of holes in the, in the paint, like three-foot shots that they just missed, and I was like, this can't be right. I don't agree with, with it, but I think there is an optimistic take for them, which, yeah. again, is part of why I'm excited for game two because if Ingram has 35 tonight or whatever, a smooth 35, but, again, I think he's got to get off Booker. That, that cannot happen the whole series. Yeah. That's too much to put on one person's plate. Uh, given what they they've gone through all right buddy this was fun 48 hours from now we'll do this again are you in i'm in me too pal yeah we hope you're all in not like shoving chips into the okay i'm not even gonna go down there i gotta go (laughs) we gotta go it's 11 20 p.m we did some of these at like 1 a.m before isn't that crazy What a great early start here yeah and getting out of here we love a six o'clock start Mm -hmm. 6 30 start whatever it was We hope you guys loved it too. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.